I'll be here. We're eating cookies. I'm in. I'm always in for cookies. I, I, I so, um, I, I agree with Pastor. <clears throat> There's a couple of things that I've thought, and um, I, I was encouraged last year when I, I just saw that little glimmer of revelation that uh, this time of the year is there's a good reason to celebrate because, um, you know, we can see from the scripture that clearly that Jesus was not born in December. There's no question. There's no doubt. There's only two possibilities that time he was born and neither one of them is December. So kind of discouraging, like, man, you're a Scrooge. Bah humbug. They call Echoes of Calvary the Bah humbug church. No, um, but I was encouraged because I think there is reason to celebrate this time of the year, which pastor was dealing with a little bit today. Um, I, I've got something that I've never really had seen, and, and the Lord put in my heart if, about a month ago. I began to just dig and dig and trying to, trying to discover something here. And so tonight, I want to um, continue that thought that pastor was working on about the conception of Christ. Now, pretty much everybody here is home, folks, and I know you don't tuck your toes in. You got your seatbelt strapped up, and you're ready for the ride. Uh, I'm going to say some things that maybe you've not heard, but I believe they're very clear and, and concise in the scripture. I would encourage you to take some notes. The other thing that's really cool, and we need to give thanks to brother Jake. Where's he at? There he is. Jake has got our podcast up. Finally, we had them going up and then they weren't going up and now they're up. So you can, you can either go onto Apple's podcast page or you can go to Spotify. They're on Spotify. Um, or you can go to uh, Podbean, which is the host, and you can go there and just look up Echoes of Calvary, and you're going to find our sermons, and they're pretty good quality. They, I don't know about the preaching itself, but the audio is pretty good. <laughs> so uh, and you can always check that out there. And, and I would encourage you, uh, again, tonight, I, I, don't, I don't come to try to dethrone. We've we got a bunch of presents under a tree right now, and we're going to have all kinds of gift-giving and fellowship. So that's, we're not trying to ruin anybody's life here. you know. But at the same time... I think it's really important. If God left us, left us prophetic clues about his timing, don't you think it's important that we dig them out? I, I'm not afraid. And I, so tonight I'm going to speak a few things, and I, I got to get on it because I, I got to cover. I was hoping Dad would go further this morning and cover Haggai so I wouldn't have to do it tonight. I just want to touch it really quick um, because I think the, these things are important. But I'm building something. How, how long ago did you preach about the Tower of the Flock? Ten years? Probably like 10 years and it's been, how many of you have thought about that a lot of times since then? I've thought about it a lot of times since then. I've thought about it a lot in the beauty of how God does things. And so tonight, God just really showed me some really encouraging things in that I want to, um, I want to encourage you with them. And so for the sake of time, I kind of put this together in the, in the slideshow format um, because I wanted to, to be able to kind of quickly move through the scriptures and I want to uh, build upon this. I told Brother Aaron today, uh, when we have all these events in the scripture, they kind of can seem like standalone events. And I'm thankful that we don't just have Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2 to tell us about Jesus' birth. Because if those are standalone, you got two guys talking about it, there could be some question. But when you throw in all the prophets that verify what they're saying and they're verifying it happened that way, it starts to weave it together. And we want that, that weaving, it builds strength in our faith. Amen? Amen? And so tonight I'm going to teach. It's going to be teaching tonight, but hopefully it'll bless you because it has really blessed me over the course of the last month. My, my family has known this because I've been trying, do, throw, floating some trial balloons out at them 
hey, can you understand what I'm saying here? So I'm going to try this tonight. So uh, Micah 4.8, go ahead and pull that up. And I might even look up there some just so I don't have to take a bunch of time flipping to the scriptures. And thou, O tower of the flock. Now this is where we get the term migdal eder. In the Hebrew, that's what it would say, migdal eder. And migdal means tower, and eder means flock or herd. So, and thou, O tower of the flock. The stronghold, now I put in parentheses on there, the hill, because that's really what this word means. Some of your, some of your versions, your translations that you have in front of you, some of you might have it saying the hill of the daughters of Zion. Anybody have that in your Bible? Anybody would raise your hand, dare? No, nobody's, okay. I'm not a liar, it's there. The stronghold or the hill of the daughter of Zion. Unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now go ahead and go to Micah 5, 2. Micah 5, 2 says, but thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. Lord, I ask you that you would help me to deliver, help my mind to, to put out the, the random obscure thoughts, Lord, and help me to focus so that I can be concise and try to weave together some things that you have so beautifully left for us to find. And Jesus, we just want to give you glory out of this. We pray that you're glorified, Lord, that we find more of you, that our faith is encouraged and established more because of what is said tonight, and we give you all the glory, and everybody say amen. amen. The significance of this spot, and I'm going to stay closer to my notes than I usually do, um, because I, I, there are some things I really don't want to miss. The significance of this spot is something I want to, again, spotlight tonight, um, and then quickly recover a few things because some of you weren't here last year when I shared on this. I'm hoping over the next few years that the Lord will give us a little bit to add every year this time. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, review. And, and I want to challenge you to write this down, write some things down, take some notes, put it in your store, it in your thoughts, and teach it to your children. It's really important. Don't teach your children about some weird dressed guy who looks in your windows Sneaks in your house when you're not looking and you're asleep and steals your food. And takes credit for the money you spent to buy your kids presents. That is not the dude you want to be talking to your kids about. If we're going to say this is about the Lord, then let's make it about the Lord. And let's, it's really important that we build a foundation of faith for our kids. Are they going to understand? They're all sitting in here tonight. Are they going to understand what I'm saying? Probably not. They're probably not going to pick up on much of anything, but the foundation's being laid, and it's something to build upon. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, do we know when Jesus was born? Yes, I think we very clearly do. Pastor covered some of that, and I'm going to quickly just touch it tonight. But I want to say that there is zero scriptural evidence and proof that it was December 25th. Nothing to prove that. There's no illusion. There's no reason to believe that at all. Except for that in the councils in 325, they determined that they were going to bring all these different, certain religions were celebrating winter solstice, other religions were celebrating Christ, other religions were celebrating other things, and so they brought it all together and they called it Christmas. Well, I don't celebrate Mass any other time of the year and I'm not celebrating Mass this time either. Um, so when was Jesus born? I think it's very clear he was born at the Feast of tabernacles as pastor said something that struck me and and i, I really was encouraged by this even is Ta feast of tabernacles was remember it was there because 
God said, I want you to remember that you were one time dwelling in tents and now you dwell in houses. So one time of the year, I want you to remember that you're going to leave that place of comfort, that place of, of ease, and you're going to go into that tent for a week and you're going to remember the hard, hardness of that. But I also think it's awesome that Jesus is born at the Feast of Tabernacles and the God of all glory left his throne and descended and took upon himself the form of a servant and tabernacled among us. I think that's pretty pretty awesome little pictorial that we have there um so quickly luke one and i I, again i'm not going to take a bunch of time on this i we could really expand and we probably should but most of you have heard it so i just want to cover it real quick luke one tells us that zachariah was working in the course of abia or abijah which is uh which is when he was told by the angel that elizabeth would conceive a son you can see this in luke one you can follow along That course is during the third week of June in our month, remembering that the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar. And in fact, this year, when we talk about Hanukkah, and I'll get there in a second, it was actually, last year, it was the 22nd of December. This year, it's the 11th of December. It already happened because the Jewish calendar does not have leap years where you add a day. It has leap month. So at some point, it adds literally a whole month to their calendar to make up for the, for the days being not right. So this was that time, and so it goes back two weeks, and it'll work its way back toward the end of December. So roughly, it would be in the third week of June. He went home immediately, and the scripture says that Elizabeth conceived immediately. So around the end of June, Elizabeth conceived. Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and the scripture tells us this. Why does the scripture tell us this? If it's not, to give us a timeline right? It's pretty clear. God wanted us to know this. Six months pregnant, Mary conceives. We know this because the scripture tells us that she went to Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant, said, this is what God has done. Baby John leaped in her womb. And so we know that that's the starting date of, of the conception of Christ, right? So when would that be? Well, six months from the end of June is right about the end of December. So while we shoot down Jesus' birth being in December, we certainly can support Jesus' conception being in December. Um, something that I thought was really interesting, and that, that ninth month of the, of the year of the Jewish calendar is Kislev, in case you are wanting to look that up. That is the month, our month of December. <clears throat> and last year, the Lord showed me this little passage in Haggai. So you got Haggai up there. Let's look at the, the next slide. It says, uh, in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 18, this is really awesome that the prophet prophesying about a specific thing that's going to happen, and I, and I could have read a lot more in this chapter, but I, I think this can bring it together. Consider now from this day forward or upward from the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, which is the 24th day of Kislev, which is our month of December. <clears throat> Even from that day, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yes. As yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day I will bless you. So the 25th day of Kislev is the beginning of what the Jews call Hanukkah. Now, how, I don't, maybe I shouldn't make you raise your hand, but I, when I was younger, literally thought I didn't really like Hanukkah. I had this kind of little, I felt like, you know, my, in my ignorance, 
that the Jews had created Hanukkah to kind of combat with Christmas. I, I literally kind of thought that. So I'm like, nah, I'm not a big Hanukkah guy. I really don't want to hear about Hanukkah. Until I realized, and this is a feast that we don't know very much about, <clears throat> but the 25th of Kislev is the Feast of Dedications. It's the dedication of the, of the, of the temple of the Lord. It goes on in 160-something, the Maccabees. They, they, uh, they call it then the Feast of Lights because the menorah stays lit for eight days, and this is where we get the, the, the name of Hanukkah. That's where the Jews celebrate Hanukkah today. You say, well, man, that's really weird. Until we remember in John chapter 10 and verse 22, where it says that Jesus was in the temple at the Feast of Dedication. So Jesus honored this day. So that must be an important day, right? What day was it? It was his conception day. From this day forward, from the, the day after the 24th of Kislev, from this day forward, the foundation of the Lord's temple is laid. And we know that Jesus called himself the temple of the Lord. So I think it's pretty clear that would be a great starting point. Say, well, let's add that up then. Okay, a woman is carrying a baby for 276 days to around 286 days is the normal average carrying time of a pregnancy. 286 days from the beginning of Hanukkah, from the beginning of the Feast of Dedications. You want to know what day that lands on? Feast of Tabernacles. So remember, all we have to do is just trace the, the dates there. Now, I don't know the exact date. You say, well, Pastor Roddy, that's conjecture. Maybe. But at least there's something to stand on. December 25th has nothing. <laughs> nothing there. This gives us some time frame. Is it important? Yes, I think it is important. Not that people are wrong and we were trying to get at anybody. I'm not, nobody's listening but our church anyway. So it's, we're not trying to correct anybody with this. I think the opposite is true. What I want to do is I want to build what I believe about Jesus on a firm foundation. And I want to take off all those things that I'm not sure about so that I'm not building on things that are kind of weird and, and uh, universal and Catholic. I don't want to build on those things. So um, I, I think that's really cool. And then, and then you've got John 1.14. John 1.14, I should have put this up there too, but John gives us this insight. He says, and the word of the logos became flesh and the and the uh, the scripture says, um, and it dwelt among us. But the Greek word is literally skenos, which means to tabernacle. That's what it means. So it's not just a dwelling, but the word, the logos of God became flesh and tabernacled among us, which would make sense that he was born at the feast of tabernacles. Okay, I got that done in like eight minutes. I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And I know kind of running a lot of places. I'm going to slow down on this next part because I really think there's something cool here to see. So, kind of we know when Jesus would have been born. <clears throat> we could cover a lot of areas here, but I want to revisit the, the, the tower of the flock, Migdal Eder. Because this is where Jesus would be born. This is why we know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Because the scripture tells us that he's going to be. Now, this is like a 1930s uh, circa picture of what they believe the Tower of the Flock very much could have looked like, probably not it, because we don't know exactly its location. We do know that, um, and I, I might have to repeat this because I might be getting ahead of myself, but we do know that it lied in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. So if you're looking on a map and you're looking from south to north, and I'll show you this later, 
you're going to see Bethlehem and then Jerusalem. Jerusalem is to the north of Bethlehem. And in between there, you're going to find Migdal Eder. So I want to look at, at this, this tower of the flock. It is the place where in the time of Jesus, shepherd priest raised the sacrificial lambs. It was close enough that, uh, in fact, the, the, the rabbinical law, which we don't study a lot of the rabbinical, but the rabbinical law forbid that any sheep be kept anywhere near the cities except for the priest sheep could be kept at Migdal Eder. That's what the rabbinical tells us. So that adds to the, the thought of, of what might be happening here. But it was here that they would raise the flock a few miles, a little bit outside of Bethlehem, about four miles south of the temple, they would raise these sheep. If a lamb was born and it was in perfect condition, they would take that lamb, they would bring it into the tower of the flock, they would wrap it in, in linens to keep it, as pastor has said, I'm covering some ground we've covered, keep it from injuring itself, and they would lay it in the manger. These are all words associated with tower of the flock. So, this, this manger was a, a hewn-out spot in a rock, and it was, it was solid, and it was secure. It wasn't going to tip over. It wasn't dirty. It was a place that was clean. So, I begin to think a few months ago about the origin of where do we first see Migdal Eder. So, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. Verse 16. And we've got to read this little passage of scripture. And they journeyed from Bethel. And there was a, a little way to come to Ephrata. Remember, Ephrata is Bethlehem. So they're coming from Bethel. They're working their way south. They've gone past what would be Jerusalem, which isn't established in Jacob's day. And they are not quite yet to, to Bethlehem. They're a little ways off. And Rachel travailed and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephratah which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Now, don't move to the next one. We don't have a clue. This is what they call Rachel's tomb. It is in between Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem. We know that there was a tower there, and I don't know that this is... Certainly, probably not it, because most of that area Constantine went through and they built these monuments. But it very well could have been in this spot. But this is what they are calling Rachel's tomb. Okay, look at this next verse, though. We got to... And Israel, Jacob, journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Eder. This is the first account of the tower of the flock. Remember what Eder means? Flock. Migdal Eder. So Jacob journeyed and carried, uh, set his tent and pitched his tent just beyond Migdal Eder where he had buried Rachel. 
It is located south of Jerusalem on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Rachel is in hard labor. She is dying, giving birth to Jacob's final son on this spot called the tower. Now, that's kind of a significant thing, right? Again, when we look at these as independent events, then it kind of doesn't mean a whole lot. But now let's put a few facts together, and I think this is where it starts getting beautiful. The Lord just put in my heart to start looking at Rachel, and I don't know why, because I would not have thought to look at Rachel in the, in the story of the birth of Christ. That's not really where I would have gone. But he began to put that together for me. So let's, look, let's, let's think about this. In Genesis 29 and 9 tells us that Rachel was the shepherdess for her father's flock. Now that's an interesting fact when you're talking about the tower of the flock. In fact, this is probably why Jacob named this spot Migdal Eder, because she's a shepherdess and he is honoring her, right? It even takes on more significance once you understand what Rachel's name is. Her name is you. E-W-E. You know what an E-W-E is? A female sheep. Okay, well, that starts to mean something. So you've got Migdal Eder, and you've got a female sheep giving birth to a son at the tower of the flock. She gives birth to the son, and she calls his name Benoni. This is what the female sheep calls him, Benoni. Benoni means son of my sorrow. Son of sorrow. And immediately Jacob says, no, we're not going to call his name Benoni. We're going to call his name Benjamin, which is the son of my right hand. So this spot seems really prophetic as a shepherdess gives birth to a son that will both be called the son of sorrow and the son of my right. And to further tie Rachel's significance to this spot, Matthew chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 confirms that when Herod had put out the decree to kill all the male children under two, that it fulfilled, Matthew says, it fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Go to the next verse, saying in Ramah, which just means heights, there was a lot of Ramahs in Israel. But we know Migdal Eder would have been, if it's a tower, it's a watch out. It would have been in a place of a little bit of elevation. I don't know if you know this, but Bethlehem sits 98 feet higher than Jerusalem. It would have been on a place a little bit of elevation. In Ramah, in the heights, there was heard a voice, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, here is my problem with commentary. Say, Pastor Rodney, you're really kind of out there on your own. Well, I'm not. I got pastor with me. So, I don't know. We're all, we're all going down to the same ship. Here is my problem with commentary and this type of thing. Commentary literally, many of them I read, literally tell us Matthew is wrong. They say, that's not, that's not true. Jeremiah when he spoke about Rachel weeping, that it would be uh, concerning when Babylon came, the Assyrians came and took the Jews out of Jerusalem to Babylon and Rachel was weeping over her children. Well, either the commentators are wrong or Matthew's wrong, and I'm going with the commentators being wrong. Rachel ties into 
this birth of Christ story, Matthew signifies that this is what Jeremiah was speaking of. Rachel dies at the spot, weeping over the fact that she is losing her son. It is a sorrowful thing for her because he is not going to be. This is how she sees it. This is so beautiful and prophetic. The book of Ruth, chapter 4 and verse 11, tying Rachel into this further, the elders prophesied over Ruth that she would be like Leah and Rachel, all the people that were at the gate, and the elders said, we are witness, the Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah which too did build the house of Israel and do thou worthily in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Who is Ruth? Ruth is being spoken of because she has come from Moab. Remember God said no Moabite will ever be a part of my congregation. But Ruth follows Naomi back across the sea down through Jerusalem, all the way down to Bethlehem. She marries Boaz. This is Boaz's land. Ephrathah, Bethlehem. This is where Boaz's property lies. This is his, his inheritance. He takes Ruth for his wife and Ruth gives birth to Obed. And Obed has a son, and his son's name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son, and his name is David. And David's job in his father's house in Bethlehem is to raise and keep his father's sheep. And he does this on the hills of Bethlehem. This is his city. This is David's city. Bethlehem, which in the Bible days was a little larger area. We think of towns like Reading and we've got city limits and posted signs. They don't have posted, you're entering Bethlehem. That's not how that would have been, you know, 3,000 years ago. It was a bit of a, and more of an area, a lot of little villages. These are shepherds. That's what people did in this area. They raised sheep. But they did. We can see that clearly through the history of Bethlehem. And it was a little bit larger area. It was also uh, within about four miles of Jerusalem then. Mount Zion sits in the middle of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. If you look on a map, you're going to see uh, Jerusalem and on the southern corner of Jerusalem. And again, these are these are maps that we look at today concerning what was, you know, what was happening 3,000 years ago. We don't know exactly where those city walls would have been, maybe. But on the southern end of Jerusalem, you find Mount Zion. Anybody ever heard of Mount Zion? The northern outreaches of Bethlehem are going to touch the foothills of Zion. It's funny because being that Bethlehem is in a little higher elevation, Bethlehem doesn't 
have a hill that it's called or sat on. There's no definition given to the hill that is on Bethlehem. But I think it's beautiful that it says the tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion. Now to me, that's just really clear. That's talking about Zion's foothills. It's being birthed. It's flowing off of, of Zion. And this is David's home. This is his City. Scholars want to call Jerusalem the city of David. How many have heard Jerusalem is the city of David? That's what everybody wants to say. Jerusalem's the city of David. Jerusalem's the city of God. Do you understand that there's not anywhere in the scripture that says that, that defines Jerusalem as the city of God? Now, I'm not, we know the heavenly Jerusalem, that typology and all that, but point being, scholars want to tell you that that. David's city was Jerusalem, but we got a problem when you look at Luke chapter 2 because it says the angels came and said, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. Well, that's a problem because he wasn't born in Jerusalem. This is where we have a little problem when we're not, when we're not diligent to want to dig out. When we want to look, uh, throw up a, a, a nativity, and I'm not, please don't tell me you have one up because I'm not trying to mock you. But when we want to throw up a nativity and we want to just kind of go with what, what everything is accepted, we develop problems and scoffers say that Jesus' birth is not real because the Bible says he was born in Jerusalem and Bethlehem, but it does not. It's confusion because we just take assumed facts and throw them into the case, but that's not true. So this is, the city of David is really, it's really Bethlehem. It's here. In Bethlehem. Think about this. This blessed me so much when I began to think about this. In the shadow of Migdal Eder, situated in the foothills of Mount Zion. Go ahead and put up a picture of those, of those shepherds. I just wanted to kind of give you a, an idea of the terrain there. In the shadow of Migdal Eder, sitting in the foothills of Mount Zion, is where he watched his sheep. Shepherding his sheep. Protecting his flock. How did he see the lion? How did he know it was coming? How did he know the bear was there? Could it, could it have been that he had at some point ascended up into the tower that Jacob had built for a monument to his wife, Rachel? It was there in David's day. We know it was because when the scripture is written, it said it's standing to this day. Could he have ascended up into that tower and sat on watch out looking over his, his, the valley and seeing the sheep and making sure they're understood? Is it here where he maybe leaned up against the tower and pulled out his harp and began to sing psalms of praise? This is the land of David. It's in Bethlehem where David is anointed to be the king of Israel. Samuel comes down and it says he goes to Bethlehem to Jesse's house and, and he's looking for the king that he's going to anoint. And Jesse says, remember my youngest son, he's not here. He's out uh, keeping the sheep. God likes shepherds. <laughs> God, God likes, likes those, those people in that Old Testament. God likes Rachel, that shepherdess. God likes David, that shepherd, the one keeping the flock. This is David's possession. David is of the tribe of Judah. This is the land of Judah. And out of his seed, from his throne, is going to come the lion 
of the tribe of Judah. You want me to quit or can I finish? Rachel ties into Judah. Again, my mind is blown as I begin to think about this and put it together. I know all these thoughts in separate, but when I start putting them together, wow, it means something a little bit different. How many can say, hey man, you're seeing something you hadn't really ever seen before? Rachel ties into Judah because in 930 BC, after Solomon dies... Ten of the tribes of of Israel say, we are no longer want to associate with Judah. And we're going to separate ourselves. And they leave the area of Judah and they become the northern kingdom. Everybody know that the kingdom of Israel was, or the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. And they remained as the northern kingdom for a couple hundred years until the Assyrians came down and they begin to annihilate them. They divided them up and you know that the northern kingdom, it lasted for a couple hundred years and it was never rebuilt. Ever. The only tribe that stayed with Judah is the tribe of Benjamin. And they assimilated And they were absorbed. They literally said, we are going to be what you are. They didn't have any possession in Judah. They really didn't have a lot of possession there. That was was really, you know, not not theirs so much. But but the the tribe of Judah took them in and they said, we're going to be exactly what you are. And what Judah was, those two came together and they assimilated And Benjamin literally became Judah. It became the same tribe. There was no separation. It was one kingdom. What was the possession of Judah became the possession of Benjamin. So the son of sorrow becomes the lion of the tribe of Judah. The son of my right hand becomes the son of whom I am well pleased. Sit thou, pastor almost got there today in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Sit thou at my right until I make the kingdoms of this world your footstool. Now I want to look back at Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. I just want to reread this with this thought in mind. But thou... Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. Something's happening in Bethlehem. Thought about the Hopper's song. Something's happening Something stirring in the foothills of Zion. The sons of Korah have something to say about this in Psalm 48. This psalm has been in my heart since I was a little kid. I told Heather last night and she could sing it too. We used to sing a song. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness... Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. Okay, hold on. Beep, beep. 
seat that's put in the truck in reverse. Take it back. And let's think about it. What we just learned about Zion, its location, the city of God, the city of the great king, which is David, and obviously going to be Christ, but the great king, they refer, David is the great king. And it's in his throne, in his house, out of his tribe, out of a branch, out of him is going to come the great greatest king. But let's think about this. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Where? In the city of the origin of our God. And in the mountain of his holiness. Anybody ever wondered what beautiful for situation means? I have. <laughs> but it really, the word is beautiful in elevation. That's what it means. I don't know why they didn't put elevation. It would make sense. Situation, I don't even know what that means. Beautiful, how, how? 98 feet. Bethlehem sits higher than Jerusalem. Beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion, see, is, is in parentheses. It's not in the original text. Mount Zion is on the side of the north of the city of the great king. We've got a logistical problem. Look at the map. Now, you can't see much here, but the, the center there is where it says temple, second quarter. That's Jerusalem. Hinnom Valley at the bottom, right above the Hinnom Valley is is uh, Zion. And down at the bottom of the map, you're going to see Bethlehem is down there. Uh, Zion is not on the side of the north of Jerusalem. Everybody can agree with that? Zion's on the south. But Zion is on the northern side of Bethlehem. So when I, I was thinking about this, and then I said, well, hold on then. If this isn't talking about Jerusalem, if this is talking about Bethlehem, then this is a psalm, this is a psalm that's talking about the birth of our Lord and the, His coming. This is a prophetic voice about Jesus' birth. So now let's read from here on. and there, You can pick it out. I'm not going to talk and, and comment on everything. I'm going to slowly just kind of walk through this. So let's go to the next verse. God is known in her towers for a refuge says in the King James palaces, but that's not the correct word. It, it's towers. That's what it means. God is known in her towers. Towers of Bethlehem. We've been talking about a tower in Bethlehem. Yeah, we sure have. Okay, next verse. For lo, the kings were assembled and they passed by together. Kings walked right down by the Migdal Eder all the time, traveling right down the road past Rachel's tomb. It was on the way. You couldn't get from Bethlehem, which was the main thoroughfare, to Jerusalem. You couldn't get there without passing by Rachel's tomb. You couldn't have got there without going by Migdal Eder. Kings passed by. They saw it and they marveled. And they were troubled. Sounds a little bit like Herod and hastened away. Fear took hold upon them there and pain as of a woman in travail. Hmm. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. And as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever, Selah. 
And we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. Go now, now it starts opening back up again. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad. We remember, this is the land of Judah because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion. Go ahead. I want you to walk around a little bit. And I want you to do something there. Go around about her. And I want you to tell of the towers thereof. I want you to talk about it. Mark ye her bulwarks. Consider her towers that you may tell it to the generation following. And what are you going to tell the generation following about the towers that you're finding and the foothills of Zion? For this is God, our God, forever and ever, he will be our guide even unto death. Man, that just is breathtaking to me. That God is so intent on revealing to us the details of who he is. Well, Pastor Rodney, I don't read it that way. Okay, you have a right to read it however you want to read it. But I think when we start overlaying these scriptures, and we know something about scripture too. Sometimes scriptures do have dual meaning. Sometimes these things are actually, Rachel dying at the tower of the flock, that, okay, she died. But there's also something going on underneath that. I thought it was beautiful that Asaph had something to say about something happening in Zion. The next verse there, 50 and 2, it says, out of Zion... The perfection of beauty God hath shined. And Isaiah. Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah. He has something to say about it in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. This is awesome. O Zion that brings good tidings. We want to talk about a lot of good tidings in this season, right? O Zion that brings good tidings. Get thee up to the high mountain, O Jerusalem. That brings good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Next verse. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd and he shall gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. There are so many places that we could go. There are so many portions of scripture that we could look at. And for the sake of time, I'm finishing. We could talk about why Mary ends up there. We could... We could look and say, man, maybe there's some reasons why. And I've been thinking about those. I'm going to have to think about them for a year because I don't have time to, to go into any of that tonight. But I think that God really wants us to be able to see what he's trying to show us. I love what pastor, one of pastor's favorite verses. It's the glory of God to hide a thing and it's a glory of kings it's to dig it out. If this was all on surface level, then Herod would have walked right up to the door of the inn, knocked, said, hey, innkeeper, where's your manger? And we walked out there and he'd have killed Jesus himself. 
But the shepherds knew. The priestly shepherds who were raising the sacrificial lamb, in fact, they, they knew exactly what was coming. The magi, well, the, these sorcerers from the east, no, no, no. They're coming from the east. Do you know that, that in 500 B.C. that so many Jews were taken out of Jerusalem? They were taken to Babylon, which is to the east. It's a long way, eight, nine hundred miles. And they were forced to assimilate into Babylonian culture. We can see this in Daniel. They're trying to force them to do this. But they also kept their belief system. They, they kind of went along with the flow, but they still had their beliefs. It's there, but it's just not laying on the surface. You're going to have to want to look for it. I want to encourage you to build these things up in your own life and to build them up in the young ones. There's, there's going to be... A lot of, of doubt trying to be thrown at your children about if Jesus is even real. Don't feed them fluff. Don't feed them garbage. Don't feed them a nativity scene in Jerusalem because it goes with, with the status quo. Don't feed them a wooden manger. Did I show that one picture. Was it up there? No, no, I didn't show it yet. Okay, the last one. It's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, verse 10. I, I, wanna, I just want to finish with this. I'm finishing, but I want to look at this portion of scripture with this thought in mind. Luke brings it all together. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. It's like in Zion, right? Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Hold on that for a second. Now, this certainly isn't probably the manger that was in the tower of the flock, but this is typical of what the manger would have been. Now, this is old and decayed. You can see the crevice in the middle of that rock that's been hewn, but you can also see that weather and time, thousands of years have worn it down. This was found in the general area of Bethlehem. So there's, I just wanted to give you a thought about, you know, the, the little wooden um, kind of like cradle that you make and you push it back and forth and it swings like you had. Maybe that's not what Jesus was born in. <laughs> I don't want to give you that thought. So, and, and this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. I love that and think it's really important too. There is no indefinite articles in Greek. There is no a, no such thing. It's always the. There's a definition about what it is there's a specific it's very specific language it is it is common knowledge that most everybody in bethlehem raised sheep and in that time everybody had pretty much some kind of a herd that they would use for milk or they would use for meat so pretty much most of the people had some kind of livestock they all would have had mangers and if everybody in bethlehem has a manger then the shepherds would have been going door to door, knocking, asking, hey, do you have any babies in your manger? Which would have been a pretty weird question. 
But the fact is, the scripture says, if you look at it, that there was, no, there was no question in their mind. Immediately when the angel spoke to them, they knew exactly where to go. Why did they know? How did they know? Because it was very clear. The manger was the portion in the bottom of the tower. And it's where they would take those lambs. Something I read last year, which, again, a little bit of conjecture, but I think it's pretty solid, is that when the priest would take their, do, do the priestly duty. Remember that when they would make sacrifice, if blood got on the linen garments that they were wearing, they had to take those, those, those robes off and they had to put on fresh linen garments before they could proceed any further. They would do that and then they'd go, okay, we gotta take it off. So you've got all these old stained, white linen stained with blood and they would do a couple of things with them. They would take them and they would shred them and they would put them and use them to be the wicks and the menorah. They would use them to light the menorah, and keep the, the, the light of God in the house of God. But then the other thing that, that tradition said they would do is that they would take those strips and that they would shred them and they would use them to wrap the little lambs in. I don't know if it's true, but it would make sense that when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in the shredded strips of the priestly garments. It makes sense. The high priest going to do the duty. He's going to be covered in blood. This isn't going to be pretty. His sacrifice, its garments rolled in blood. I think it's such a beautiful picture. Go on to the next verse. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, now you'll notice King James Version is no longer on the screen. Everybody take note of that. I should have put Pastor Rod version. P-R-V. There we go. P-R-V right below. What were they saying? The Greek says it this way. They were proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth. See, the problem was the comma. There are no commas in Greek. And they put this comma in the English in the wrong spot. It's not glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. No, it's glory to God in the highest and on earth. The same God who was in the highest is now on earth, and it's the same glory. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Peace toward men of good favor. Really, we're not really doing a whole lot of translating. We're just writing it out in the Greek there for you. My point tonight is this. I hope, and I know I said a lot, and I know there's a lot of places, I, I tried to be concise because I didn't want to keep you here all night long. I hope that this will build your faith and encourage you to look further. How many saw something about Rachel you'd never seen before? That's just one person in the Old Testament Remember what Jesus said? He told the Jews, told the Pharisees, go back and reread it because every bit of it's about me. So I don't care who you're looking, you want. Well, David, what's, boy, David did some really cool things. David, David's life wasn't about David. David's life was about bringing the glory of Christ. And wherever you go there, we're looking to find Jesus. And I love that when we seek him, we find him. So I hope that tonight, that your faith will be encouraged. Do some studies on Zion. 
Study how God's presence is going to be there. I, I know there's more there. Certainly there's more to see, but I hope that you're blessed, and, and I really hope that you will take the time. I want, I want to see that your children, as they grow, have a great understanding, and you have a great understanding of who our Lord is, when he was born, where he was born, and we're not guessing about it. We're using the word of God to discover it. Amen? Amen. Pastor, why don't you come tonight?